Hello, and welcome to Future Forward Podcast, an unusual tech dialogue about the advancements and innovations which are going to affect your everyday lives, today and in the future. Brought to you by Mazdar City, a world-class innovation hub and a pioneering sustainable urban community in Abu Dhabi. I'll be your host, Steve Severance, Head of Program Management and Marketing, and I'll be joined by Ali Al-Sayed, an incredibly funny Emirati comedian, and together we'll meet awesome experts and change makers to answer frequently asked questions on the hottest topics to keep future tech on your radar. Not only that, at the end of each episode, I'll be putting Ali to the test to see how much he's learned. Okay, Ali, we're going to do ag tech today. You excited? Dude, I feel like you're making these up at this point. Tell me, where do you think most of the food you eat comes from, Ali? Well, it used to come from a cow. Now it comes from a box. It comes from a box. It, and it comes from the supermarket. You know what happened? It, no, you know what happened? It comes I, from- I went vegan um, and then the pandemic hit. And I was, I, did, I was vegan for about six months. And I said, I was really paying attention to where food comes from. And I was very health conscious. About six months in, I'm like, all right, this isn't looking like the world's going to survive this. So if I'm going to die, I'm taking all these animals with me. That's how I did it. And then I went ignorant again about where my food comes from. And now you're telling me there's some agritech that we have to worry about? There's some agritech. And we have a, an expert on here. We've got a CEO, entrepreneur, founder of Hydro Art Pod, uh, Richard Pate. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. Hi, Ellie. Hi, everybody. Hey, Rich. You know, you mentioned that we need to be worried about agritech. No, mate. Agritech is here to help. Oh. So cool. So why don't, you, why don't you give us a little background on, on agritech? Because we've had a lot of advancements, a lot of enablements in, in agritech and things that, things that have enabled us to grow food in a different way, whether that's LED lights that are mainstream, whether it's the artificial intelligence, uh, whether it's, it's some, some of our awareness about wanting to be more aware of the food that we eat. I mean, I think we're all of a certain age where we grew up and went to the supermarket. We didn't look what, what was in the ingredients we were eating before they were labels on the food. And now I think a lot more people are really concerned about the source of their food and they want to make sure that they're getting a better quality food, a healthier food, but also a food that is sustainable in the long term. So why don't you just give us a quick overview of where we are? So the, the, one of the things I, I find it, it's almost a challenge with agritech is it is such a vast umbrella of endeavor. Um, you know, applying technology to agriculture. What does that mean? I mean, people have been doing that ever since agriculture started just by using their brain and thinking about which crops go well with other crops and how to do crop rotation and how much water to use and, and, and so on. The problem is that, that more recently with the explosion during the 20th century of the global population, we've outstripped our ability to just think more about it and now we're having to lean on the application of what we would consider technology, AI and so on to, to help us get some of those insights and make decisions about how to provide more food, so more productivity using fewer resources with a lower impact on the environment through things like uh, leaching of uh, pesticides and, and what have you. I mean, I guess you're right. We should go all the way back and say when the first agricultural revolution was when we moved from hunting and gathering to farming and fixed crops and, and having animals and creating a surplus of food was the very first agricultural revolution. Yeah. Problem is, with the rate of growth being so steep, the growth of population being so steep these days, um, we don't have time 
to gradually invent new tools and farming methods and so on. We'll do this now. Um, you know, what's the population uh, at the moment are getting towards, it's about 8 billion or so, by 2050 projected to be 10 billion. We don't have time to mess about and spend 20 years figuring out the answers. We've got to start figuring out the answers now. Um, and, and so that's why there's this massive global push led by governments around food security, supported very much so by consumer behavior, focused on food security from a different angle, food safety, um, choice of, uh, you know, being able, being able to decide whether they want to have organic, whether they've got access to organic food at a price that they can afford. You know, so there's a vast amount of um, capital investment flowing into agritech all around the world. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure we'll come and talk more about that, but it's uh, it's just a huge drive that's moving forward. Question is, are we moving it in the right direction? Well, I think, Richard, you brought up the number of people that are almost 8 billion at this point and, and, and still growing. Without previous revolutions in agriculture, this wouldn't have happened, particularly chemical fertilizer, right? Chemical fertilizer and the advancement of monocrops and really efficient growing, growing methods. I think, though, that this new revolution is designed to take on some of the issues that are caused by chemical fertilizers and the advancement of monocrops. And whether that is, you know, she said des- desertification, it's uh, burning parts of the Amazon down so that you can, so the rainforest down so you can grow crops. It's places in Indonesia that have turned all of their forests into palm oil production. Um, and it's, it's the draining of our aquifers uh, across the U.S. and the Midwest in different parts of the world. And you're seeing the difficulties that have come out of this and also being still we need to feed 8 billion people. But I'd like to get a little practical now with you as you're a pretty practical guy, uh, as you've got, as you've actually launched a company and talk about two areas that I think people might it might affect their their lives more, and it's some of the the technology that we hear more about. One is hydroponics, uh, the mm-hmm. idea that you can grow food in water with some with, with limited fertilizer, with almost no water, uh, and particularly as a water storage. And then can we dive a bit into the beyond meat or impossible Ooh, yeah. meat or uh, meat? Oh yeah, exactly. Because uh, you know we want Ali to be a, a vegan, but we also want him to have a ribeye that tastes something like yeah. a ribeye. I'm, I'm eating the real thing. I might go back to being vegan, but I, before you answer that, I have a question. What is a monocrop? Because you mentioned that a few times. Is it like a crop that can't sink? <laughs> I'm going to let Richard take that. He's the expert. Well, I think, you know, there are key crops that perform reliably in known conditions and that um, subsist well, in fact, benefit from being kind of co-located or, or rotated around with, with other crops. Um, you know, and this is one of the things that I think is a part of agritech is it's, it's not just looking at things like AI, it's looking at seed selection um, and seed development, you know, uh, a lot of that kind of thing as well. Because if what you're planting is going into uh, a fertile opportunity, let's say, but the, you've got poor quality seeds, or there are seeds that are uh, not well suited to what they're being grown in or how they're being grown, then you you kind of want to lose it from the start. So you gotta you gotta select the full kind of growing system 
um, knowing uh, you got to have the knowledge about it and you got to have um, the ability to access those things as well. But maybe, um, I mean, hydroponics is, is very near and dear to my heart. Steve, thanks for bringing that up because uh, our product is based on, on hydroponics. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge growth area over the last um, decade or so. It's not new technology. It is very thoroughly proven. There are always pros and cons with any, with any kind of growing uh, technique. Hydroponics has a lot of pros. It has some cons. Uh, for example, uh, you can't grow everything in hydroponics, but you can grow a vast range of different types of plants. And if you have the right setup, um, then you can have outstanding productivity with your plants. Um, now, the thing is, you know, you think about what do plants need? They need light, they need water, they need nutrients. And so if in hydroponics, if, if you're not providing those, if it's outdoor hydroponics and they get the light from outside, but they still need the water and nutrients, you're growing indoors, you've got to provide the whole lot. So that means that you've got to have a, a, a system in place, uh, an infrastructure in place to be able to provide that. But, you know, the benefits of growing it, you know, year-round, no soil, um, so it's a very kind of, let's say it's a very clean environment um, and uh, easy to keep pest-free, which means that you don't need to, you know, put the, the pesticides, chemical treatments and so on. You know, a lot of, uh, when you go to the supermarket, a lot of the, the, the produce that you buy has been treated with up to 40 different chemicals on it to try to kind of reduce the degradation of the uh, of the cells in the plant so that when you get it it looks fresh feels fresh tastes fresh it um, doesn't necessarily mean that it's still got um, a high um, nutritional density in it but seems like it's good right when i was a kid growing up in australia my my parents would just say it's green you eat it it's good for you and, and i just took it at face value now if something, you, if it's green, you know, you buy it in a supermarket, it's green, it looks good, seems great, but if it was picked three weeks ago, it has been losing nutritional density that entire time. One of the things hydroponics does is it allows you to grow more locally, even in an environment like ours. I know. We've actually had some, uh, some demonstration projects done at Master City uh, around hydroponic farming to prove that you can do it in this climate. Because you do need to keep it, and it, when I've been inside the hydroponic farming, you know, you have to put a suit on, you have to put the hair mask on, you, you're basically, you are a danger to the plants, but you can pick the, the right off the, right off the vine right there, don't need to wash anything, don't need to do anything, and just eat it there, and it actually tastes delicious. I was really surprised the first time I tried, you know, hydroponically grown uh, leafy greens. And leafy greens is a product that is it's very easy to do in hydroponics. It's a common product. It, uh, and the taste is spectacular. And I, I do believe that the taste and the nutritional value uh, are related to each other because the same vegetables you talk about in the store that were picked three weeks ago, they may look perfect, uh, but they don't taste good either as well as losing nutrition value. They've lost all flavor. You mean t- tomatoes that taste like cardboard, right? Yeah, I have a, a, a question. So I'm I'm a I'm a normal guy. Um, if I wanted to get into hydroponics, if I want to, uh, you know, do that in my own home, is that a complicated thing? Is that an expensive procedure? Like, how do I uh, do that? Or is it something that I just need to go and purchase from, 
you know, from one of the stores, like a Carrefour or something. Richard, this is a this is time for shameless plug on your part. What if you had a way to make it easier for Ali to grow to to do something at home? What if there was a company that provided a simple, easy to use, easy to install home-based system that could work year-round? Do you know of one? Take my money. An amazing solution possibly exists. So when my wife, Aline, she was pregnant with our first son and she was worried about the the food safety of what what we could buy here with produce in as much as she didn't want it treated with all the chemicals and all the rest of that kind of stuff. So she looked around for um, opportunities to, uh, to buy more organic and they were few and far between, a bit better these days. Um, it was pretty pricey though. So then she went looking for ways to be able to grow at home, started outside, realized very quickly that's just a non-starter, um, uh, except for about four months of the year. And it's probably the same if you're in, um, in kind of northern Europe or, or the north of North America or so on. You have a limited growing season. So then she was thinking, okay, we can, I'm sure we can grow inside. How hard can that be? So then it was about putting together a solution where you could think about um, uh, coffee pods like Nespresso capsules. If something was as easy as using an Nespresso machine, you put a pot in, you hit the button, the water goes through, and you've got your coffee. And so she was trying to break it down to that level of ease and convenience because people are too busy. You know, uh, Ali, I'm, I'm sure that uh, you wouldn't want to spend a lot of time measuring, okay, now I need eight mils of this plant food solution and I need to make sure that the plants are getting the right level of light. You've got other things to do. I'm, I'm guessing. I'm just going to take a guess. You've got other things to do. You want this stuff to happen essentially in the background. You want it to happen automatically. And so that's what the Hydro Art Pod does. It is a garden where you put the seed pods in. The app will tell you when you need to top up water, if you need to top up plant food. It'll tell you when your plants are at their best to eat. It'll give you suggestions for what to do with them, you know, recipes and so on. It'll help you track your nutritional intake um, from what you've grown. It will help you uh, also track your sustainability impact. So the app, the companion app, will let you know uh, by growing your lettuce, tomatoes, kale, cucumbers, mini peppers, uh, peas, beans, etc. By growing those instead of buying them, you've saved X amount of carbon dioxide um, kilograms. And you've saved money too, right, Richard? You save, you save money because once you've bought the device, then you just keep using the consumables. It's the same as, a, as again, with a, a coffee machine. You, you buy the device and then the consumables just turn over at an affordable rate. And, and when you look at it, it's significantly less than, you know, going out and buying a coffee or going out and buying um, your, your produce. It, it taps into a real drive of consumer behavior. And, and that makes us very happy because we are those consumers ourselves, right? We, we, we solved a problem for ourselves and hopefully it's, it can help solve a problem for other people too. We, we dove into hydroponics a little bit and what's that, what that's going to do for us. But let's talk a bit about alternatives to meat and whether this is, you know, I, when I was home a couple summers ago and I've been exploring, I never went all the way to vegan, but I, I try and eat a lot more plants, a lot less meat, a lot less processed food. I feel a lot healthier for it, but I tried, you know, caterpillar potato chips. Um, 
it, it, you know, or bug potato chips. They actually sell stuff made out of bugs now. They also have things like Beyond Meat and Impossible Meat are two of the largest alternative to meat products for people who do want to eat either vegan for ethical reasons or for sustainability reasons, or just looking, believe a plant-based diet is healthier. Can we talk about what the future of meat looks like? Because for the most part, whenever people get found more money, they like more meat. And with the, and with the 8 billion people and growing to growing to more, a fair amount of them are also uh, middle-class now. And, that's been great for them, but it also means a, a real push on the world's food supply, particularly the meat supply. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a, a lot of us uh, enjoy our steaks and so on. But when, I mean, when you look at the when you look at the data, the impact that, um, that the production of meat has, uh, it's a it's a honestly, it's a train wreck. You know. Um, Something like 70% of the world's fresh water usage goes into agriculture and a vast proportion of that goes into the production of meat. That, and that's, that's what goes into producing it, not the, um, the uh, how would I say, the negative outcomes arising at the other end, if you know what I mean, of the cattle. Mm-hmm. So, yep. um, Cow farts. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, Thanks for saying it out loud, Ali. That's, uh, that's so. Two things. One, we have developed a slightly uh, kind of unrealistic expectation about how much meat we should be eating. And we, we, in the general sense, you know, um, me, I would have meat uh, just about every day. Uh, I say just about. I mean, every day if I if if I could, just because I kind of like it. I'm sort of in the habit of it. Um, but uh, my dear wife, Aline, has uh, very rightly um, suggested that as a family, it would be good if we just had meat a couple of days a week. Um, you know, that includes uh, anything like fish or chicken or, or, or red meat. Um, and you know what? I, uh, I kind of got used to it. Um, and I think, we, I think as, as humans, as eaters, we do get used to different ways of doing things. It's really about your motivation. Um, and so, uh, you know, for people like Ali who are so focused on fitness, well-being, uh, driving longevity, all you know, uh, all these amazing things, right? Then that's a very strong driver. Um, saving money can be a fairly strong driver. I don't know how many people are primarily motivated to reduce their meat intake by the environmental impact. I mean, it's certainly a growing number, but ultimately if it comes down to, you know, you're at a restaurant and you're seeing someone at the table next to you with a really nice, juicy, sizzling steak, how many people, rhetorical question, how many people will say, I really would like it, I'm not going to have it because I don't want to add to the environmental issues that we've got. It's a tough one. You know, I'm so happy to see the emergence of uh, of the kind of the Beyond Burgers and, and that sort of ilk. Um, I know that there are some teething issues, particularly around distribution and, and kind of meeting demand, for, excuse the pun. Um, I think uh, there are, you know, if, if, if we can crack that, 
nut, then um, uh, I, th I think then that allows people, the alleys of the world, and maybe even people like me, um, it feels like I'm having my stake and actually I'm kind of doing the world a favor. So, so that's, a, that's a double win there. First of all, Richard, never, ever, ever apologize for a pun. Um, that's what the media wants you to do. Never ever do that. That was a beautiful pun. I appreciate it. Um, I, I second that. I'm, I'm one of the people who, um, who went into veganism because of that, uh, because of the environmental effect. Um, you know, even marine life, we've lost 94% uh, of that. I mean, we're, we're looking at horrible numbers. How, do, how is agri-tech um, battling that. I mean, I've had a Beyond Burger. It really tastes, uh, so in some instances, better than uh, some meat burgers that you might have. Um, but how do we, and Agritech, how, how will that change the conversation for people? How will we make people care? Because, you know, you said, yeah, well, did you watch that documentary? We all know that one documentary that everyone watched that will be effective. Well, right? but, but how is ne Netflix and their vegan agenda, right? It yes. got me too. I watched it. And then, yeah, I, I went from meat twice a day, every single day to meet once or twice a week. Uh, it, it got me. I'm like, I want to be an athlete at 75. Yeah. Do you know why we, we eat meat three times a day? Because we have food? food three times a day. Why? Why? No, so why we, would be so like, like, uh, like anything that's amazing. It comes, uh, from the Brits. Um, so there was a time, and this is true. You can look it up. There was a time <laughs> that, <laughs> like America, like America came from the Brits, like, and it's hey, amazing. Thank well, you, Ali. I, I, I yeah. wasn't sure you were going to. I didn't think you were going to plug America during this episode. Like Elon Musk is in America because we hey, haven't mentioned Elon Musk in this episode yet. There we hey, go. I Elon brought Musk. Him up. First, I would have brought him first, up first. First, I know, but I thought I'd do it for you. First, Elon Musk mention in this episode. Here we go. That's one, one of many. Um, look, what happened is there was a time uh, in, in England where people believed that eating red meat gave you uh, wisdom because of, you know, whatever is in it, the proteins and that kind of stuff. And they also believed that the reason poor people were poor is because they, they weren't smart enough because they had no access to meat. And that's why they will always remain that way. And that's where also kind of the class system came in. So in, in the same way that people boast today, you know, with like watches or, you know, uh, brand name clothes or whatever, people started kind of doing that with meat, with red meat. So then, it, you know, it slowly started becoming a breakfast thing uh, as well. And then we have it for dinner as well. And it became a whole, uh, you know, three times a day situation. If you look at people way back in the day, we were talking about hunter gatherers. It takes a long time to hunt. So they weren't eating meat every day. Um, and, and even, you know, in, in our history, traditionally Arab history and, and Muslim history, uh, the middle class, the upper middle class and the wealthy ate meat once a week. Uh, the poor ate meat once a year, um, which is where we have our, our second. Eight. Anyway, that's my side note. Y'all thought I was dumb coming into this. No. Ali, Ali, you're. You're dropping knowledge. I want to go to, I want to go one last topic with Richard is regenerative farming. Uh, and it's applying scientific methods to traditional farming. So you'd have combined plants and animals and with a real push to both produce more nutritious food, but also significantly reduce the carbon impact and the environmental impact of animal production. 
Richard, any thoughts on where on how that type of farming can use you know new technologies with traditional methods? Yeah, I mean, like you say, it's the, it's combining uh, two or more different methods so that uh, you're achieving economies of scale, but you're also ideally. Uh, each of those components is having a positive contribution to the other. So um, maybe people have heard of aquaponics, which is where you're combining hydroponics with, uh, with the plants above with the fish below. And, and so there's a, there's a, a, it's a, a cycle um, of the nutrition. And so you could, you could grow them, you could kind of manage both of those separately but by managing them together, you're achieving greater productivity through through efficiencies, um, which which gives you great. It's not just the productivity, but it's also um, uh, bringing costs down as well. Um, and there's you know there's any number you know so uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, friends at Circa in in uh, the Catalyst and Mazda taking a particular type of, of insect and turning that into fish food as well as being able to utilize some of the byproducts from that. So it's this combination. And that's where it takes, I think, a high level of knowledge and, and understanding about how biology works, how um, different forms of life uh, subsist and what they produce as an outcome and look for something that needs that as an input so that you develop, you know, we all, we all talk and hear about the circular economy and I guess this is a circular agronomy and, and it's really just about looking for those sorts of opportunities. So um, AI can help a lot in, because it, collects, it helps you collect data and where you collect data, if you're sensible and smart, what you do with it is you develop insights and those insights can help drive decisions. I think there is, there's already a lot going on in that area. And I think it's going to be a huge growth area, particularly when you're looking to solve land-based problems and water-based problems. And a lot of the time, it seems that there's a combination of the two together. Seems, just seems to work very well. Guess what time it is, Allie? It's your favorite time. Put Ali to the test. Question number one, what is agritech? Listen, it is, uh, it is the technology of agriculture, and you cannot say that I'm wrong. I might say it's incomplete, but not wrong. Okay, go. but number two, here, here's what, what is the population predicted to be by 2050? 10 billion. That was easy. You're slipping, Whoa. Steve. You're slipping. Whoa, what is monocropping? Monocropping is crops that can't sink. Change my mind. How could I change your mind on that? <laughs> Number four, what is hydroponics? Hydroponics is growing your own stuff inside your own house or outside using minimal water and fertilizer. And that's the way uh, forward because apparently the cardboard tomatoes that we eat here aren't making uh, or satiating uh, Richard or Steve. <laughs> What is food security? No, food security is, is making sure everybody's got, um, you know, the whole world gets what we need. Food security is, is, is something that I personally hope that we, we, uh, we go for. I'm making it up. I'm really deflecting from these questions. There we go. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Ali. Thank you, Richard. So if you want to find more about Hydro Art Pod, hydroartpod.com, if you'd like to order one of these yourself, 
if you'd like to find out more about Mazdar City and what we're doing in Agritech and some of the other technologies that we've talked about on this podcast, mazdarcity.ae. So like us, download us, subscribe to us, follow us, give us feedback, tell your friends, tell your brothers, tell your sisters, tell your cousins. Find us on Apple, on Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.